What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Comprehensive sex education is so beautiful and education is empowering and um, and it's so effective that it delays sexual activity by around two years when we see students that have been given comprehensive sex ed versus their abstinence only counterparts who show no delay in sexual activity but a huge uptick in STIs unwanted pregnancy and abortion and those are in Christian circles like over 70% of abortion clients according to Guttmacher Institute identified as Christian Welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast. I am your host, John Williamson, and we are back with part two of our two-part series on sex and sexuality. We're back with a different perspective this week. Uh, This one is brought to you by Brenda Marie Davies, our our special guest this week. She's also a podcaster and an author. Uh, She just had a book that came out called On Her Knees, Memoir of a Prayerful Jezebel. It's a fantastic book. Um, oftentimes hard to read, I think, because it's, it's very raw. It is very truthful and honest and raw. And it's a portrayal of things that were, uh, that she went through that were very real and at times, uh, hard to, hard to stomach, you know, and, uh, she's not alone though. These things happen, uh, to women, young women, uh, all over the world all the time. And so, um, eye opening in many ways, but, uh, but I, I applaud her for for her honesty and her and her rawness and the truth that she she put out there in this book. But very different perspective. Um, and uh, and again, uh, I wanted to present kind of two angles on it. And so, uh, hopefully, you enjoy the conversation that we had. You find it uh, helpful. Um, again, uh, the the book is fantastic. Can't recommend it enough. Um, go out and, and and check it out. So. Uh, what else do we have going on? So many new episodes. Uh, we have a lot of recording we've been doing and, uh, lots of new content that can't wait to get out. Um, in fact, some episode recorded, we recorded a while back and, um, just trying to find 
dates to push them out. So uh, lots, lots coming. So so welcome, uh, if you're new. Uh, if you enjoy the podcast, though, and you'd like to support the work we're doing, uh, I'd ask you to consider joining our Patreon family. You can find the link in our show notes and, of course, at our website, www.thedeconstructionist.com. Other fun things you can find on our website, you can find all the podcast episodes that we've ever done uh, for the past five years. You can stream them directly through our website. You can find our blog, which we sometimes occasionally remember to update. Uh, You can find our web store. We've got t-shirts, pint glasses, coffee mugs, all sorts of fun things. Uh, Social media links so you can uh, chat with us online and, of course, contact information if you want to shoot us an email. And if you just want to support us in, a, in, in the, the easiest way possible, uh, if you take a couple seconds and go over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review, uh, that is hugely helpful. It gets us uh, some more exposure. In addition, if, uh, you know, if you've got some friends out there you think might benefit or might appreciate the work we're doing, word of mouth is the easiest way uh, for us to get out there. So uh, appreciate your support. Love all of you. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, music this week. We should probably talk about that. Uh, This is a returning uh, artist, Micah Bentley. So we used uh, music by his band, oh gosh, probably like three years ago now, a band called Wild Earth that uh, put out some really, really great tunes. So Micah's got some solo stuff. So if you like his music, uh, go out and follow and support Micah. We'll, of course, have all of his links in the show notes as well. Uh, and, of course, we'll, we'll continue to update our Spotify playlist. So if you search for The Deconstructionists on Spotify, not only will you find our podcast on there, uh, but you'll also find our playlist that we update with uh, artists that we use on each episode. So check it out. Uh, but let's get to the, the, the heart of it. Uh, this week's episode, let's get into that conversation. Uh, hope you guys enjoy it. And without further ado, Brenda Marie Davies. Okay, welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast. Thank you so much, uh, Brenda, for coming on and and talking to us about your new book. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So um, you're probably enjoying warm weather, whereas in Ohio, it just dropped down to like 30 degrees again, whereas it was 70 yesterday, so I'm a little jealous. Uh, Yeah, we have really inconsistent weather, though, too. You'll be like, it's so hot, and then the next day it's raining, so I don't know what's (laughs) happening either. But I'm hot today, so yes, it's true. That's a good problem to have, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, Yeah, 39 tomorrow, then back to 60 on Saturday. I don't pretend to understand it. But anyway, we're here to talk about your book. (laughs) So um, you have this great new book coming out. Um, I just, uh, I was lucky enough to to get an advanced copy of it and and read it, and um, this is certainly a topic that we've talked about on the podcast before um, that, you know, the topic being purity culture and kind of its um, damaging effects, like, let's be honest. Um, and, and there's a large piece of that to your book, but a lot of it is very, very, very personal. And so um, what, what kind of, I guess, motivated you to write it and what gave you kind of the strength and the courage to, to put some of the things in there that are so deeply personal? Mm. Well, it's funny because I um, originally started writing an iteration of this book years ago, and it's like 
700 pages and probably fully unreadable, (laughs) (laughs) but it was really a combination of a bunch of like journal entries and even as far back as MySpace blogging that I used to do. Um, So it's just like this combination of uh, me before being this perfect evangelical virginal girl Mm -hmm. to deconstruction or marriage falling apart first deconstruction da 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 but um i was really going about my own business i had left church um in around i think 2012ish um or whatever year when did we vote for obama whenever that was it was kind of the last time i was like super super plugged into church um Maybe that was 2008, whatever. Yeah, We're like the, talking the about weather round, yeah. and political <laughs> dates. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like, welcome to those boring podcasts ever. Um, yeah, so whatever. I'm just trying to uh, put a placeholder for when I actually had like really disengaged. And I just remember it was that specifically because I was very upset that we were still at church being told from pulpit that we had to vote against Obama and that we had to vote against gay marriage in California. And it was even worse because I ended up discovering that it was very financially motivated uh, with the pastor because it's that old evangelical fear of we'll lose our tax exempt status if the demonic democratic party keeps winning the war, you know? Right. Um, so I really felt that they were compromising human rights and human happiness by telling us that we had to vote in this specific way. Um, so then I kind of really minded my own business and continued doing my own thing, considered myself Christian. All of my friends knew how I identified, uh, but I wasn't active. And it wasn't until about three years ago that I had looked at this material and been like, I have a lot to say. And I tried to write this version of this book and I couldn't get it published originally. They were saying, there's no audience for this, which is so amazing because you and I, John, were talking about like the top of this conversation about how there are so many people out there. I think so many of us enter the deconstructed space thinking that we were just alone cast out in the world. And it wasn't until this movement started emerging that we started discovering there are actually thousands and thousands of us saying the same thing. But at that time, you know, president, the president wasn't Trump yet. So Christians weren't really in the zeitgeist the way that they are today. And it was really impossible to get any mainstream publishers to understand the significance of what I was trying to say. But now I look back and I'm like, dang, this, this timing is so beautiful, which is why I'm still a freaking Christian because (laughs) these little miraculous like moments, these little markers and adventure points that really feel the spirit sends me on are so beautiful because I'm like, what better time to be talking about purity culture and deconstruction than in this moment where the New York times happens to be writing about the same subject matter. That's amazing. Yeah, it's crazy to think yeah. that they thought that there would be no audience for this. I I know there's, I know you reference uh, a bunch of the books. I think you have a resource section in the back, but um, you reference uh, Pure, uh, which is a, a fantastic book. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've we've had uh, you know the author on uh, Lindy K Klein uh, to talk about her book, and mm-hmm. there's a bunch of others that have come out since then. So it's clearly something that I I think 
the women who went through specifically the purity culture movement, um, who are now, you know, becoming, you know, adults and, and into their thirties and in forties, even at this point are, are looking back and saying, what in the hell? Like, why would anybody think that that was a good strategy? This, this prohibition of, of sex essentially versus actually d- having conversation about it and education and, and, and those sorts of things. Well, yeah. And unfortunately, that's not the main thought that I see is still in those fundamentalist spaces. It still is, let's lead with fear. Let's lead with ignorance. You still have the activist mommy actively campaigning against sex education. You still have Fox News lying to parents and saying that comprehensive sex ed is teaching five-year-olds how to do anal sex. These are not true. Like comprehensive sex education is so beautiful and education is empowering. And, um, and it's so effective that it delays sexual activity by around two years when we see students that have been given comprehensive sex ed versus their abstinence only counterparts who show no delay in sexual activity, but a huge uptick in STIs unwanted pregnancy and abortion. And those are in Christian circles, like over 70% of abortion clients, according to Guttmacher Institute, identified as Christian. That's remarkable. Um, mm-hmm. And it's all ignorance. That's really what it is. It's just people need education. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the things you talked about too, and this was a book that was pretty prevalent when I was in college, um, and we must be within the same age range, Um you talk about twenty-one. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I I often what, at my full-time job. One of the things I do is I make new hires guess how old I am because I like to think I'm aging nicely. So, and they never get it right. So I think you know I think that's a win. So, <laughs> they're like, um, although it sounds like you're they're higher up and they would be they're probably lying to me. To- <laughs> yeah, they're totally lying to me, which is fine. Sounds a little manipulative. It's okay. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Either way, I'll take it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but one of the books that was really big, I remember, because uh, in my particular Christian journey, I grew up uh, Lutheran and then started to engage in more evangelical Christianity when I was in college, you know, introduced through friends. And, and of course, it was the cool kind of hip version of church. There's like this full rock band, or as my brother likes to call it, Jams for Jesus, um, <laughs> you know, and it was much more conducive to that age group. And I was like, of course, like I want to you know, hang out with the cool kids at the cool church, you know? Um, But one of the books that was floating around, and I think this is interesting because you talk about it in the intro, and then he wrote the prologue to your book. Yeah. It's this book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye by Joshua Harris, which we all know, uh, if you follow that, recently he's completely denounced his his own book. So talk about like, yeah, talk about that a little bit because I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah, I'm so glad you noticed because I had always written um, I Kissed Dating Goodbye as a part of my introduction because it was clearly so formative to me. And it's funny because I didn't read it cover to cover. It was more like his lessons were just so prominent within evangelical spaces that even if you hadn't taken the time to read the whole book— you knew the stories in the book. I was told about the story that I reiterated about this man and woman getting married. And then while the husband is saying his vows, all these women start lining up and standing behind his wife because he gave a piece of his heart to each one of them. This is obviously, yeah, this is something that I 
come up against so hard because what evangelicalism has taught us is that sex diminishes us. They're giving away pieces of yourself. You know, Lisa Bevere is saying you forfeit your dignity and your strength. Like it's all about the loss. And even the terminology of losing your virginity is something I'm eradicating in my own life and my community and saying sexual debut, because what are we losing? I don't understand. But, you know, Joshua Harris's book was obviously all about loss. Even if you have an emotional connection to someone of the opposite sex, they might be robbing your future spouse of that experience. Like you're supposed to save even communication with your spouse and not give your heart in any way, shape, or form to anyone. Um, so you can imagine the anxiety. And then Linda K. Klein's book, Pure, also referenced that book and talks about how people suffered erectile dysfunction and vaginismus because in some cases it was as, as extreme as your actual body lining up with these points of shame and fear and responding and reacting to that. So it's all very, very unhealthy, obviously, but it was really stunning because I think about a year or something into God is Gray, I just had my thir- third anniversary on Valentine's Day. So it's not that long ago, but I remember I started seeing the hashtag church too, which I believe is started by Emily Scott. And then I saw, I survived, I kissed dating goodbye. And then I saw Joshua Harris's movie where he started to explore what had maybe gone wrong in his book. Um, but he was still on the journey. Um, him and I have spoken since, and I have a podcast coming out with him soon where we talk about it. But, you know, it's just like, I have so much compassion for him because so many of us that were purveyors of toxic theology and these ideas are also simply the victims of it as well. And that's why this whole beautiful crop of people is standing up and challenging these, this misinformation and these outright lies about people's spirituality and sexuality. And Joshua has added his voice to that growing chorus of people. And for that, I cannot fault him. I hold no animosity, but it was just so, so beautiful. I made him a video and I was all nervous about it because I was like, I really want him to say yes. And I was like, (laughs) home visiting my parents and I put on my makeup and I was like, hello, Josh, like, <laughs> please do this for me. Because for me, I thought there would be no more beautiful full circle experience for my own story than to have the person who really uprooted and ruined so many aspects of my sexuality denounce his book and then endorse mine, which is exactly what's happened. And I'm so happy about it. Yeah, that's absolutely beautiful. It's, um, it's interesting too, because uh, you know, what, what you're saying is that, like, you've gotten to a point in your life where you can separate the person from the actual church. Like, and, and I think that was true for me too. I, the negative experiences that I had um, with evangelical Christianity, looking back now, I can clearly see, you know, they were just young people just like me who thought that they were doing the right thing. They didn't have ill intentions. They were just doing what they were taught. And like, yes, damage was done and, and there needs to be accountability for that. But at the same time, they were just kids too, you know? And yeah. And, and now I can separate the two, but at the time I, I couldn't, you know, I was angry at the church. Oh my gosh. I was furious and, and rightfully so. Like 
I don't think I shared, no, I, I might've touched on this in my book, but it's not really my story to tell, but someone that I went to church with as a really young girl, she was raped by our worship leader after being given all of these modesty and purity messages she had developed sooner than any of us. So they kept shrouding her in larger and larger t-shirts to hide her body. Our youth pastor told her to stop swaying her hips so much when she walked because it was distracting to the men. And it was like, she was just ripe for the picking for a sexual assault. And that is why you know, modesty culture and purity culture really beget rape culture. And that is a very clear line that I want to draw. And I completely agree with you about like compassion and forgiveness and inviting anyone into the fold that wants to join this beautiful movement of accountability. But the key really is earnest and genuine apology and true accountability. And that's something that I'm not seeing in a, in a large number of the really popular large leadership. I've been blocked by so many people and I always work so hard to frame my messages as an invitation. I, I keep saying that shame is paralyzing. Conviction is mobilizing. When the spirit gives you conviction, it says, Hey, you can do better. And that is the way I let the spirit lead me while I'm doing these videos. Obviously I'm not perfect. Obviously my humanity and my flaws will still come out, but I, I'm very careful to always sit down and be like, Yes, I'm taking you to task, but oh my God, it's because I really believe you can do better. And I really want you to understand the damage that your messages are doing to people that you are blind to. But then it gets to a point where people are called out so many times and they block, 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 Sean Foyt, what's up? That you're like, <laughs> oh, okay. So now you're just willfully ignorant to it. Now you just really don't want to hear it. You know, like, I sent a really kind couple letters to Lisa Bevere and her team asking her to be accountable for this terrible purity culture ebook she wrote on her Instagram. And she dismissed me, um, said something about like how cool it is to be a mom or something after I said like, Hey, can you please address that victims of assault, whatever? I don't remember the exact thing, but, and then she also blocked me on Instagram. So hmm. There's two sides to the coin. There's the Joshua Harris, there's the Sean Foyt. And I really don't know what to do about the latter, except continue to let people know that there's a better way and that there's a way to reside in div with divinity and to get into the fold and to have community without having to bow down to this toxic theology. Yeah, I think, I think what you said about shame and fear, like there's such good tools, you know, to, uh, yep. to, to, to motivate people, uh, to do things, uh, especially certainly to make money and to get butts and seats in churches, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, and, and I, they're losing those butts oh, in droves. Sure. Yeah. I, I don't know if you saw the recent poll, but for the first time, Christianity, uh, fell below the majority, I think is, is what I read if memory yeah. serves. And Phil Drysdale is doing such beautiful work in that space too. So yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, and one of the things too that you mentioned, um, I think that plays right into what we're talking about is the fact that you noticed early on that the church is full of what you call dichotomies or what we've uh, talked about as um, dualistic thinking. You know, this idea that everything is black and white. Um, it can fit into one column or the other. And anybody who has lived a day on this planet knows that life is not black and white. And I think you, your aptly named podcast uh, hits the nail on the head. 
life is messy. Life is gray. And especially when we're talking about issues like this, like they're very complex and very nuanced. And I think it cheapens it just to say like, Hey, you're either right or you're wrong. You know, there's no in between. Yeah. I completely agree. Obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh gosh. Sorry. Let me turn the page here. Mm. All right. So, (laughs) um, I think it's interesting too. You bring up you bring up in the book. You talk about something that I know we've discussed before, but this this idea that um, shame is is so is such a uh, strong motivator for folks who kind of came through this movement. That like there's this weird almost sex, but not quite kind of thing because you can still kind of justify it, and it's not as shame inducing if like you do things that are right up to the door, but not quite walking through the door, kind of <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> I mean, is that true though? Cause I, f- I mean, maybe for some people or maybe I, I would frame it like I could use the excuse of like, oh, well this is, and let's be clear when we say everything, but sometimes people have taken that literally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I've just done like anal sex to avoid sex, which <laughs> is funny. Cause I do have a portion of my book calling, just calling people to look more deeply at the the idea of virginity in general. Because mm-hmm. when I heard that was a uh, social construct, I was like, oh, what are these liberal, like, Gen <laughs> Z kids saying now? Like, I didn't understand the validity to that. But then when I really broke it down, I was like, yeah, I mean, so a straight girl considers herself a virgin still if she has anal sex with a guy, but then is a guy who's had penetrative sex with another man not a virgin? Like, what is a virgin? Um so I, I mean, I, for one, felt paralyzing shame and guilt and fear every time I engaged in anything, even if it was just a little makeout session of kisses. So I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's weird, th- these strange laws that we've created. And you talk about that in the book. You talk about the fact that at one point you're like, I'm going to look in the Bible and see what it actually says. And oddly <laughs> enough, Jesus says nothing about dry humping. It's weird. I don't know why. <laughs> I felt like that's a huge issue he should have addressed in the New Testament. But talk about that a little bit, kind of your exploration, uh, you know, and trying to make sense out of where did this stuff come from? <laughs> like. Well, it's funny because I do also admit in the book that I was not like pouring over the an- ancient <laughs> Greek and like real, like none of that. It was a very cursory glance at the Bible that I've had since my pastor gave it to me at like 12 years old. The first pastor that told me God cries when you masturbate. Um, yes. I've had that Bible for years. It's like ripped to shreds. Um, well, I was God, reading it. God must be spending all his time crying then, if that's the truth. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's where the ocean comes from, this I guess. It's full of tears. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> Sorry, go on. <laughs> no, it's it's worth addressing. Yes. It's true. Yes. Um, but what was I saying before I was rudely interrupted so by sorry. masturbation? <laughs> oh, with Jesus. Okay. So yes. basically it was, I mean, it's funny because at the same time, even though it was a very cursory glance of the Bible, I really was looking at this idea that my pastors have always said, it's black and white. It's clear as day. You can hang your hat on the Bible. It's literal. It's true. It's divine. It's God's word. Every single word. And I just remember reading like David and the Psalms and being like, well, you wouldn't take one of these words out of context and be like, thus saith the Lord. Like 
David was struggling with some very deep and heavy emotions. And actually, sometimes I wonder if he would have been considered someone that struggled with mental health issues because he's so up and down. There's almost a a bipolar kind of nature to the Psalms. So I'm like, that doesn't, that's not God, obviously. That's not literal. So the the idea of literalism really started to break down. And I remembered being told again and again, and this is something Lisa Bevere will like comment on in a purity culture message of like, um, daughters, do not awaken or stir love before it so desires. I heard that a million times to say, therefore don't masturbate and don't have sex for marriage. Otherwise, you know, thus saith the Bible. And then when I finally went to that verse, I was like, Oh, this verse is plucked out of context from the erotic novel that is Song of Songs, <laughs> where two unmarried people are reveling in love for each other and and lovemaking. And you pluck that out of there to tell me not to masturbate? Like, are you guys crazy? How did you even find that verse in there? Like, that is the lack of context really became more and more stunning the more that I looked at it just from a logical point of view. And, um, and then when it came to date, uh, to Jesus, I was like, he's not talking about gay people. I know I've had so many conservative conversations where like he did talk about marriage and I'm like, yeah, but if I talk about my male and female friends getting married, that doesn't mean my two female friends are also not getting married somewhere else. Like just because he didn't address every single situation. And then obviously the more I know now about homosexuality and what it actually was in that time, it becomes more complex. But at that first reading of the Bible, when I was really looking at it, I was like, Jesus, Jesus didn't say that. Like they're telling me that because he didn't talk about gay people, it's not valid. That doesn't make any sense. And then, um, I think some of the final nails in the coffin were realizing that David had, I think 11 or 12 wives. And then Solomon had hundreds of wives and hundreds of concubines. And I'm like, a lot of these girls are probably in very non-consensual sexual agreements with Solomon for maybe even one night as young as God knows how, like, I don't even want to know. So, and then he's still considered, they're both considered men after God's own heart. And, you know, I also say in the book that the patriarchal notions that our faith traditions have passed down wrongfully so to us have been so suppressive and oppressive to women and all different kinds of minorities, obviously. But when we talk specifically about women, Jesus never told us to be quiet. Jesus never told us to sit down. He never told us to be small. And, um, and then we look at characters like Eve and Jezebel, and they're irredeemably evil. They're called evil. Eve is faulted for the entire fall of man and for childbirth and for anything. I've literally heard pastors say, blame Eve. It's Eve's fault. But then David is killing people. Solomon's having sex with probably children and men after God's own heart. They're flawed. They're just flawed. Right. So, and that's, that's patriarchy. That's how our tradition ended up leading down to where it is today.
Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a hugely important point because when looking at purity culture and when the movement was at its kind of height, um, you know, it really is this very imbalanced uh, notion where women, you know, are, are being compared to like food and and you know things that go to waste. I remember in uh, Linda's book talking about the Oreo, and I thought, what? I had no idea any of this was happening. By the way, um, Lutheran, you didn't? No, Lutherans weren't down with that whole thing. <laughs> oh, that's nice. You guys considered us more than objects. That's yeah. Sweet. We even let you be pastors. It's nuts. <laughs> I know. Very radical. Oh wow! Wow. Yeah. yeah my dad. Someone call John Piper. He's going to be mad. Oh, it's too late. We we came. We we were precursors to Piper, though. Remember, Lutherans have been around way longer. So. <laughs> He has nothing to say about it, but, um, but yeah, no, I, I, I missed out on that whole thing. Thank goodness. But like hearing these stories now recounted by a lot of my dear friends, uh, the things that they went through and just the sheer imbalance of it, like guys were not held to the same standard. It, it was all about the guy, you know, it was, uh, you know, you don't want to be this disgusting used up thing because it's all about marriage, all about finding your husband. And it's like, what, what, where did we come up with this crazy idea? Um, mm-hmm. and, and so I think you're right. I think it does, it goes all the way back to the Bible and kind of that, the, the patriarchy and, and let's, let's address, you know, the Bible itself. It's all, it's written by men. It's all written yeah. by men. And so, and, yeah. Yeah. And even I feel the Bible, the Bible, when I read it as a deconstructed Christian is gorgeous. I love it. I think it's beautiful. Like when you have the freedom of knowing that it's not a literal text that is out to condemn your every move and you're just reading it. Um, and I do so like with Holy spirit, I sit down in quietness. Like I, I love it and I love learning new things about it. So to me, it wasn't inherently hateful of women or minority groups, but the way the theology was plucked from it, the way things were taken out of context to justify evil, whether it be slavery or oppression of women or marital rape. I mean, marital rape has been justified as recent as Sunday at some church somewhere. Men are still using Ephesians 5 to force women to have sex with them. That pastor that just got went viral for talking about like fat shaming women. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah. Robert Allen Clark, hello. Um, He did this entire fat shaming sermon about how women have to keep it tight and they have to look young, but not too young and not too seductive, but definitely seductive. It's just like all of the hoops he's wanting women to jump from. And he wasn't holding the Bible in his hands. He was holding (laughs) men are from... Women are from Venus, men are from Mars. That was what he was referencing. That's a throwback. Yeah. That's a real throwback. I know. I feel like housewives are reading that in like the 80s or something. (laughs) So that's what his message was built on, not the Bible. But like he said it. And that message is from less than a month ago. He said, men, tape this on your bedpost, Ephesians 5.20. Don't let her say she's not in the mood, Ephesians 5.20. That second one isn't a direct quote, but the first one is. That's insane. Um yeah, and that's called marital rape, which wasn't illegal, by the way, until 1991. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, like, let, let's dive into that a little bit, because in your book, like I said, it's very raw, very honest, and I, I think a lot of people out there are going to read it. And I'll be honest, it, it was, as the father of a little girl, um, <laughs> there were parts that were very hard to read. You know, it, 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 
I'm, I think I'm still probably processing it a lot, a lot of it, if I'm being honest. Um, oh, it makes me so happy to know that's in the hands of a father who cares. I, that's so beautiful. Well, it makes me want to commit murder in certain instances, but you know, that's a, neither here nor there, but you know, yeah. but like, Thank you. I, I'll have it. some addresses for you. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Some people we need to check out. No, I'm kidding. Totally kidding. But <laughs> kidding. Vengeance is the Lord's. That's true. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I mean, honestly, there are some, there are moments throughout your story where it, you just want to scream and like, say like at any moment, somebody could have, stopped this moment from happening. You know, like you, you talk about um, even the first time when you lost your virginity and, and just the disconnection that you felt from your own body. And it's, I mean, it's, it's so sad. It's sad. It is sad. Um, but like, I want sad, you to, I know. yeah, I want you to talk about that though. Talk about like just the effect, the psychological effect that purity culture had on just, you know, on sex in general, like, especially in the beginning there. Yeah, I think that's what's so crucial for anyone who is mentoring or parenting a young person to realize. And then also anyone who is mentoring or parenting their child self, like going back to childhood memories and reparenting and relearning things about yourself of what you deserve, your worth, um, which I also feel comes easier as a parent because when I look at my son, I just know how worthy he is of love and goodness and how I would never fault him for things that have happened to me, you know, and really have happened to me versus situations that I walked myself into intentionally. Um, But even like you're discussing, there's so much nuance in what situations did you actually walk into? Because I didn't recognize that I had been raped until... Maybe I was writing the book. I started kind of processing the idea that I had had a lot of Me Too experiences. Like, I remember I was modeling and a photographer wanted to adjust my bathing suit bottom and he put his fingers inside of my vulva. Um, and, And those things were so commonplace. I think a lot of us too, just as women had gotten so accustomed to accepting certain behavior because one, there was so little accountability that even if you said something, it like, what even would happen? Like in that moment, for example, I was just like, what am I going to do? Stop the whole shoot now and go to production and be like, I don't want to be here and then lose this paycheck. Like it just, it didn't feel worth it. And embodiment, the concept of embodiment would scream at that notion. Like embodiment demands that you're like, oh, hell no, I will stop this shoot. I will burn this place down. And that's just so valuable because what we're not realizing is that any of us that have been indoctrinated into these systems where we have been told your heart is deceitful, your flesh is evil, your spirit is divine, everything else is like, dirty rags. It's so disgusting. You're so filthy. When we're teaching our children this, when we are parenting ourselves with these beliefs, we are diminishing the temple for the Holy Spirit. We are walking temples of the Holy Spirit. We are walking manifestations of Jesus's hands and feet on this earth. Respect your body. Respect 
him or her or they, whatever pronoun you want to give it, but don't call it an it. And that's something that I learned from Jamie Lee Finch and her book, You Are Your Own. She was where I learned for the first time about the concept of embodiment and of not rejecting your body and how beautiful she is in these ways. And then Linda K. Klein in her book, Pure, was the first person to make me realize that I was not integrating myself in my sexual experiences because my evangelicalism had forced me to compartmentalize. They said, your flesh and your heart are evil and deceitful and disgusting. So I was like, okay, they're in this category. Then I have my spirit and my attuneness to divinity. And that's, that's the only good thing about me. And then my sexuality is some other corner and that's even more deplorable than my heart and my flesh. That's me like giving in to my disgusting flesh. So that's you at your very worst. And when you really believe that subconsciously, you will react and behave out of that. If you don't like, I love, I was just talking to Tara Tang, who's another embodiment coach. And she was saying, when Jesus said, pluck out your eye, she believes he wasn't talking literally. He was saying, whatever it is inside of you that is like rotting you, your belief systems, these constructs that we've created that are harming us, we need to pluck that out because that is causing us to sin. And the way I define sin is harm. You're outputting harm. You're inputting harm. You're harming the environment. You're harming your body. You're harming yourself. And it's not always your fault. That's the thing too. Like harm comes to us because it's just the nature of the world. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get banged up. It's just inevitable. But what we can do to be in our power and to be the most fully integrated beings that we are, body, spirit, mind, all of it, is to walk in embodiment and say this, I I honor every single thing that God has given me. And that includes my body and that includes my sexuality. So in pure Linda K. Klein gave the example of inviting God into the bedroom. And I practiced that for the very first time with this guy who ended up being a total F boy. And, (laughs) but it was, it was perfect because I would totally take back that sexual experience because he did not deserve me and he is an idiot. <laughs> Clearly, yes. <laughs> yeah. But but it was an integral moment for me. It was really, really beautiful because I remember walking into my bedroom and very strongly feeling conviction, which is beautiful. Like I said, it invigorates you. It says, hey, you can do better. It wasn't like, you disgusting heap of garbage. Why are you doing this? That's shame. That's the enemy. The author of fear is Satan. That's that. That's what that is. <laughs> it was conviction because I would usually go in with shame. I usually walked into the bedroom with, God, I know you hate me. I know this is disgusting, but here I go versus, okay, I'm going with conviction. So when I did that and I left fear and shame outside and invited God in instead, I was awake and alert the whole time. And I was like, huh, okay. I don't want to do things like this because of X, Y, and Z. I don't know. I don't like the way he's behaving in this way. I don't like that. I know he's not going to call me after this. These are the things and the reasons for not engaging in a sexual experience like this. There wasn't enthusiastic consent. There wasn't a true honor of me as a woman in my fullness by this person. And I personally wish that I hadn't engaged in sexual activity with him for those reasons. But like I said, that was the first time I ever was able to look at sex with eyes wide open, spirit and heart wide open and be like, I'm not not doing that again. 
because a list of rules was written and my pastor told me I can't. I'm not not doing that again because of embodiment, because I would just choose to not have an experience like that again. And um, I know a lot of these ideas get really confused or complicated when we talk about assault, for example, because another experience I wrote about in my book is that when I was completely disembodied, like you said, my very, very first, my sexual debut was intentionally disembodied. I intentionally diverted my eyes from the situation. I intentionally didn't kiss him. I didn't engage because I couldn't be a part of that experience, even though I was choosing it kind of. Um, so then later on, it just degrades and degrades and degrades about what I believe I deserve, how I believe that I do want to conduct myself sexually. And then it really did leave me vulnerable to non-consensual situations. A non-consensual situation is never, ever, ever the victim's fault under any circumstance. I don't care what you were wearing, where you were going. I don't care if you were laying in bed with your legs open. It's not your fault if you didn't want it to happen. Um, but because of my disembodiment, for example, when I was raped, I actually didn't know that I deserved to say no. I didn't verbalize a no because I was like, this is what happens to Jezebel bad girls like me. Like sometimes it goes right and sometimes it goes wrong. I couldn't recognize what was really happening because of that. And like I said too, the Me Too movement really helped as well because all of a sudden I realized how many things that I, as a woman in this nation, had just normalized as normal male behavior. Like, oh yeah, you got to flirt with your boss. Otherwise, you might get fired or you might, you know, like those are things that we came to accept as women. So that's another thing. It's just like, now there's finally some repercussions. There's finally something that you could say if a producer was being abusive or swarmy or something, there's finally accountability for those things. But it all begins with your self-worth and your ability to be embodied in yourself. When you can't take Yeah, I think there's a couple of quotes that you have in the book that I think just nail it, where you talk about the fact that um, the evangelical church made an idol out of sexual purity. And it's it, it struck me as, of course, like we've, we've kind of separated the human being from the act itself. Like they're two distinctly separate things instead of, no, that, that is an expression of you. And in a healthy situation, it's one of the more beautiful things you can experience in your life. But when we've treated it like it's this separate thing, uh, of course, it's easy to uh, disconnect from it and and disembody, as you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> I like personifying purity and on her knees because, yeah, it's it's wicked. It's not good. It's not beneficial for the human spirit at all. Purity God with a lower case G. <laughs> yeah. Uh you have this other quote. I'm going to quote you back to you. How about that? Um, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You got some, you got some good stuff in here. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta put this out there. Um, you, you talk about the, the, 
after having sex, like specifically for the first time, you said the guilt and the shame didn't go away. Cause obviously years and years of kind of indoctrination into that, that sort of thinking isn't just going to go away magically. And you make this profound point. You say, I wasn't building this relationship on a foundation of self-love, respect, and mutual growth. And that's, to me, that's it right there. Yeah. And that has nothing to do with like necessarily waiting for marriage or, or any of that. that. That simply has to do with in this moment with this person, what am I trying to build here? Right. Yeah. And it's all, it's, it really is about attention. Effect matters too, obviously. If you think you have a good intention, you hurt someone, that's a valid thing. But when you're talking about marriage, which is supposed to be forever, something you do between yourself and God and another person, like I remember writing in the book as well that I truly felt when I recounted it that it would be less sinful to marry someone I didn't love than to not marry them and keep having sex with them. And when I really wrote that down and looked at it again, I was like, that is terrible. And I still at the same time stand by it. I'm like, I wonder how many pastoral offices I could go in and be like, I'm having sex with this guy. I don't love him, but should I marry him? Like, I wonder how many people would have advised me to do so if I was like, yes, I'm kind of like the Paul verse. Like if you burn with lust, just get married. And it's like, that is not honoring the other person and their mutuality and their autonomy and what they deserve in life. Like I, I have no animosity for my ex-husband because I thought it was just so gracious and kind that he sacrificed years of his life and married me just so that I wouldn't have to worry that I was going to burn in hell. And that was truly the only motivation for it. And he just got on my crazy train with me and took a ride. (laughs) (laughs) What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh gosh, I'm, I'm, and I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who are like, uh, "Yeah, I can completely yeah. identify with that, <laughs> M- myself included." Taking some pretty awful uh, Christian counseling advice, you know, I think it. I think it happens a lot. I think you put your, a lot of trust and a lot of faith in people in those positions. 
Um, yeah. And not, you're not always getting the best advice and, and doing the right, the right thing, you know? Oh, and they get burned out too. Like yeah. people are speaking out against that as well or speaking out about it. And I find that fascinating and interesting too. It's like, yeah, these guys can never have one bad day, you know, and it's not really permitted. Yeah. Not publicly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, gosh. And so like, I don't want to give away too much of the book because I, I definitely want, I think people need to go out. And <laughs> You're get like, it. let's read it cover to cover together. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's so fresh in my brain right now. I'm just like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but like, like following your story and just kind of like, you, you can almost see this progression of like where, um, as you say, the, the, the train kind of keeps going and you get more and more disconnected from it and like kind of go from kind of awful experience, awful experience to the point where you talk about ending up with this in this abusive relationship, um, towards the end of the book, um, that was just gut wrenching. And, um, and just the idea that like just sticking with it for so long and and kind of feeling like that was your, your role in a sense. Yeah. That was the hardest portion to write because I still, I think maybe now it's finally dissipating the shame of that relationship. But abuse is something that is so insidious. I really like making the comparison of the frog in boiling water where it's just like no one's going to take you on a date and slap you across the face. It's a slow progression. And as soon as it gets to a point where you're ready to leave or you're that overwhelmed by how bad it's gotten – you look back and you're just like, how did I even get here? And for me, that was so much self-blame. You know, how did I allow this to happen to myself? Why would I ever think that this is what I deserve? And he also put a tattoo on my body. And that has been a huge source of shame for me as well. You know, people are like, let me see your tattoo. Let's talk about it. And I've been like, no, no. it just makes me ill. Um, and even that too, gosh, what an example of a lack of embodiment, letting someone tattoo something on your body that, that is not something that you want. It was just, ugh. It's like he was it's branding you almost, you know? It's a very common thing for abusers to do. And I actually, hmm. yes, I've spoken to other women in my life or in his life, uh, former life, that have said the same thing. So... That must have been a pattern, whatever. I don't even care to talk about him, to be honest. But I will say that writing it out and being so forthcoming and so honest about my story has always been so imperative to me. And I really felt when I was writing it that God was encouraging me to consistently do everything without shame. It was so important to tell the stories without shame. And the reason is because shame has no purpose in our life, really. Like, I truly, genuinely don't believe that. Um, But also, I didn't want anyone else to feel shame that is in that situation, that has been in that situation, because I would never shame anyone outside of myself. Like, I go so much harder on me. But if I looked at anyone else that has been in a similar situation, I'm like, my heart goes up for you. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I've never blamed anyone except myself. So... It was very healing, actually. I feel not entirely healed, but that it set me on a path to really genuinely finding that true, authentic healing about that specific relationship because writing it without shame and having that importance behind it 
helped me to remember that I needn't be ashamed for being abused. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think so much of your story comes back to, um, realizing that, you know, it's, you're, you're not to blame for, for any of this. It's, it's this weird indoctrination that, that a lot of people like yourself went through. And it, you know, it seems to me that like once you started having sex, then immediately it was kind of like just operating out of, out of this place of shame and, and, mm-hmm. and kind of like the self-deprecation where you're just like, well, I'm just, you know, whatever you want to throw in there. Um, well, let's throw in what they've always thrown in object exercise. I'm a dirty glass of water. I'm a chewed up piece of gum. Like I thought that I hadn't internalized those messages because even seeing them from pulpit, I remember thinking they were offensive and ridiculous, very young. I still like, I had a sense of self at certain points in my, in my relationship with the evangelical church, but I look back and I'm like, no, I had to have internalized that because that's how I behaved. That's how I reacted to myself in sexual situations. I definitely had to have believed that I was diminished in some ways. And then men kept coming into my life that reiterated that message, which is something that I think you'll often find when you are kind of seeping out with an open wound oftentimes the message will keep knocking on your door over and over and over again until you decide or, or are able or willing or just even eyes open enough to realize it's happening that you're able to actually address that issue and, and live in your fullness. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. Like the people I've talked to over the years, um, no matter how subtle the message had been, um, just the deep impact that it has had. Even I've even heard guys recount the fact that, like, um, an example I heard was like the the number of people that they had slept with once they got to a certain point, like of feeling shame about, like, oh gosh, I've been with however many people. That's you know considered too many. Then at that point, they're just like, well, I'm already a dirty person. Who who cares? And then it's just like a free for all at that point. You know what I mean? Like it's just crazy psychological effect that it has. And, and that was coming from a guy. Like, so I can only imagine because I think the pressure is so much, so much greater on women. uh, Clearly I can only imagine, you know. Well, yeah. Women will be told from both pastors and sexual partners that you, you have done too much. You're, you're, washed up. You have experienced too much to be valuable. And again, it is all such BS. It's really us all navigating life and having shared experiences with other people and shared sexual experiences with other people. This is not diminishing you. And if you can do that with embodiment, with eyes wide open, then it's just going to be a formative moment in your life. You may get your heart broken. You can get an STI if you're not being wise. Like there are real negative and positive effects to sexuality. And that's why it just needs to be honestly addressed because if the church keeps building, it's not even the church. I'm sorry, excuse me. If our entire nation, which has some of the recorded lowest, um, what am I looking for? Do we just have some of the worst, like the most piss poor sex education um, of the first world? And that is well documented. So when you look at that, it's like not only has the church, but kind of our puritanical values and the history of our nation are built on be afraid, be very afraid of sex, be very ashamed if you do it. And if you do it, it's like in mean girls, 
wear a condom and then pass out the condoms. So if everyone, no matter how secular they are, is going into these situations blind without a sense of what they actually desire, you know, if you start having really open conversations with your partner, if you have open conversations with your child, your teenager, age appropriate conversations, then you will then become the person that they're talking to, that they're asking for advice on these different things. And the more room there is to play as in allowing someone to actually grow up and be who they are. Like I have no intention whatsoever of assuming that my son is straight. I'm just assuming that he's a sexual being that could include asexuality. That is a sexuality. I am just looking forward to getting to know him better. And, and that makes me really excited because if I'm just getting to know him and I'm just listening to him and I'm just helping him navigate enthusiastic consent and autonomy and pleasure and desire and moderation and how not to hurt himself and others and to be conversational about sex where it's not a point of shame. I just can only imagine how many of these disasters would be thwarted if we would just all take that approach with our young people. Yeah. I mean, which is probably a very arrogant thing for a mother of a (laughs) one-year-old to say, but (laughs) I have high hopes. (laughs) Right. Right. I'm still terrified of the teenage years, but Hey, um, (laughs) I still have time. But uh, yeah, it seems it seems like so many of the the, the taboo things, not just sex, but um, a lot of the things that we've turned into these weird taboo topics could be avoided just through honesty and honest conversation and dialogue and, and education. Um, mm-hmm. And yet we do the opposite. We, we continue to think that prohibition is going to be the key when it clearly has never worked. <laughs> never, not under any circumstance. Tell people not to do something and they are... doing it, but their eyes will be closed and they'll do it recklessly. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think if I, if I could kind of summarize your, your book a little bit, obviously like that's a huge component of it is advocating for, for education and, and open dialogue and things like that. But one of the takeaways that I had really, especially towards the end is, is kind of reuniting with your own body and, uh, finding your own voice and finding your own power and taking control over, you know, your, your own body, that which is yours. Um, so am I, am I wrong in thinking that's kind of, uh, kind of the, <laughs> that part of your journey? Yeah, absolutely. I think I've been really curious to hear how it feels to like close the book and, and have the last page read because I, I intended it to be very hopeful and empowering. I want people to really understand that there is not only freedom, but true permission from divinity, from that God you've heard loves you so much that there's real permission to excavate your desires, to look at them, to be honest about them. And to live an integrated life that is very sexually fulfilled, not like your evangelical pastor said it was going to be like (laughs) missionary style, just do the dishes for your wife and she'll want to bang you. It's like, that is not fulfilling sex. I can do my own dishes. I don't really care. Like, do you know what a WAP is? And can you provide that for me? (laughs) Right. Exactly. And that's, that's honestly, if people are having sex with women, that should be a top priority of, of what they're they're learning about sexuality and in their own 
relationships with themselves, with their partner. It's all meant to be about pleasure and, and that divine communion that we have really can be a part of your sexuality is a truly in my mind meant to be. And that doesn't mean you have to be like staring into each other's eyes in an ocean, you know, like rolling around on the sand. Like it doesn't have to feel divine every time, quote unquote, but it is divine when you are looking at another person and beholding them as a full, full human and spiritual being as someone that is created in the image of God, honoring their Imago Dei, acknowledging who they really are, perfected and crafted in the image of God. And even if you're not Christian, still, please go in with the perspective that this other person is so inherently valuable and and worth it. And their feelings and emotions, their desires are all valid because you're choosing to engage with them in this intimate way. And again, that doesn't mean you can't have kinky, fun, five-minute long <laughs> quickies. It just means that's the way you're looking at people. And that means you're looking at a one-night stand that way. That means you're looking at your wife that way. And that's another thing. Like in hookup culture, which you know from the book, I was fully immersed in. There's so many moments where I took men for granted because I was given this script that you guys just want to bang. Like if you had sex, you were just lucky to have done that. And it's like, that's not true. I may, I hurt a lot of people's feelings. I really neglected people's Imago day and took them for granted. And that to me is what we would call sexual sin. Sexual sin isn't this black and white ticking boxes thing. Sexual sin is, are you honoring people the way you've been called to honor them? Are you loving your neighbor as you love yourself? And I love that verse too. And I, and I hope to God, the book tells this to people as well. The verse says, love others as you love yourself. I watch so many conservative voices buck against the ideas of like, body positivity or autonomy or pleasure, all of these different things. And I'm like, don't you see that this is what it is all about? You're loving your neighbor as well as you love yourself. It comes from you first. Like everything that we've always known, it really is that intuitive. You're loving God. You understand that you are that beloved by him, that you are worthy of love, that you're worthy of pleasure yourself. And then therefore that is what is being given to other people. And I know that's not easy. Believe me, like the journey of self-love and self-worth is a long one. I'm still on it. I still struggle with it. I hate that I even use the word struggle. That's such an evangelical <laughs> word. <laughs> a journey too. That's yeah, a big one. Yeah, yeah. That's also a bachelor nation word too, that whatever. Uh, We're taking You know it what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. The Bible, I just think it's stunning that the Bible verse gives you permission to love God, to love yourself and to love others. And it means they're all being loved equally. That to me is an ideal world. That to me is an ideal ethic and basis for someone's sexuality. And I think that's so interesting and, and so powerful that even the authors of the Bible understood the fact that, and any therapist, by the way, worth a shit would tell you this too. Like yeah. you can't adequately love another person until you can first love yourself. You know, you can't, you can't be empty of love and, and then, then try to, to, to give it out to others. And, and so and gosh, American culture, I think is so devoid of that. I think, um, 
I mean, that's a whole nother podcast in and of itself, but like just, the, <laughs> just the, the things that we're bombarded with on a daily basis, uh, self-esteem issues are abundant. We'll say that. Yeah, definitely. The only thing I will push back against is I do think that it can go either way. I know that we can't adequately, I don't know. I just think that basically if you're not capable of self-love, I kind of see them in a circle. Sometimes it's hard to fully love God. Sometimes it's hardly hard to fully love yourself. Sometimes it's hard to fully love your neighbor. Sometimes you're doing one or two better than the other third one. (laughs) I feel like life is just very immensely complicated and any moment something can knock you off. Like even me now getting older, that's a point of like having a difficult time giving myself self-love and I don't want to rely on another person. But if a man walks into my life that like loves that about me, like, yeah, that could sometimes definitely help elevate your ability to love these certain pieces of yourself that you find unlovable or less desirable. So we're all, I think, constantly on that circle of, of discovery and love. And it's just always ever flowing. So whatever anyone does, like, don't shame yourself for not being capable of those three tiers of love because they're all hard and the neighbor one can be hard sometimes too. (laughs) Yeah. Oh gosh. And I think even accepting love sometimes from others is difficult, you know, Mm because I think a lot of people out there don't feel worthy of it. And yeah. Oh gosh. Well, I know we're running short on time, um, but I wanted to give you the opportunity. What any last thoughts? Like, because the book kind of it, it doesn't. The thing I like about the book, because I'm on this tangent right now, where I hate the fact that we have so many experts, quote experts, out there running around, and they've got it all figured out. And I think it's nonsense, but that's my own. <laughs> it's my own problem. I'm working through. <clears throat> but at the end of your book, like, there's not there's not a big section. I'm like, okay, I figured it out, guys. Here's the answer. Like, you don't leave them with answers at the end of the book. So what is, what is the takeaway uh, for folks? I love that. That's exactly right. The takeaway for me is that this book is your invitation. It's a love letter to my God is great community. I consider anyone that reads the book a part of that community, anyone that's open to it. It's a love letter to each and every person that reads it to say, this is your invitation. This is your permission to dive deep in and discover what it is that you want. And therefore, how could I give you the answers? We're all so unique. We're all made with completely different desire and capability and talents and lifestyle and choices, all of that. So it's like, of course, there's no cookie cutter answer. My channel for the love of God is called (laughs) God is Gray. So I have to leave room for people to be who they truly are. And, um, I know that I have knowledge and wisdom that I've been given on this subject, especially by having all these powerful, gorgeous conversations with true experts on these subjects. Um, But yeah, my book is just for you, for like each person that reads it to say, now you go ask yourself questions. Ah, I love it. Well, Mm -hmm. thank you so much for coming on. And, And like I said before, I think, I don't know if I said it before we started recording, but thank you so much for for writing this book, putting so much of yourself in it. I know it's a risk and it's uh, probably slightly terrifying, um, but I I know, I know uh, it's going to do a great deal of good for for folks out there who have been through similar experiences. So thank you so much for being vulnerable and honest and giving people permission. 
Thank you. And thank you for being a daddy of a daughter that read it with that lens. That makes me really happy. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, come back anytime. Um, thanks again for coming on. And uh, um, yeah, people, go get the book. Yeah. <laughs>
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.